Hey, you're here. That's amazing. In case you don't know where you are, this is Odd Numbers, episode 29. It's a conversation with Elliot Hillis, one of the people behind Orlando Meats and Recess Pizza. He's been on the show for the regular interview, aka to a certain degree. So this time around, we dig into a topic, in this case, vulnerability. I'm going to tell you up front, it gets a little deep in there. Really good and actually really vulnerable. I hope it inspires you to have and to hold these types of conversations with your friends as well. For more on this episode, please visit toacertaindegree.com. And now on with the show. Lyle Lovett on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. Good morning. This is a special edition of To a Certain Degree, which is what you're used to hearing on Monday mornings. But every week I have a very special guest. Odd Numbers is the version of the show where I get to have people back, returning guests, very special people in my life and in my heart. And so that's why I played that song, because I think it would also make a good holiday song. We just take a minute. Just remember that we love everybody. Everyone. Everyone. There's no margin of error there? No. You got to love everyone. Fine. Okay, great. My very <laughs> special guest today, Elliot Hillis, is back from outer space. Woo! Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, Elliot Hillis, you might know him from Orlando Meats. Mm-hmm. You've seen him there. You've had his food, his delightful, delightful food there. Mm. You might know him from the wonderful Off Cuts podcast. Also an option. Also an option. Where else might we know you from? Recess Pizza. Oh, yeah. Recess Pizza. You just had a pop-up this past weekend at Red Light, Red Light. Mm-hmm. It was delightful. Yeah, I think uh, we weaseled our way into a residency there. So oh, okay. we'll be continuing. Monthly or? Uh, weekly, barring special events. Yeah. And uh, we've gone down that movie rabbit hole. So the next one is Home Alone. Which was just announced this morning. So the last one was Demolition Man. Demolition Man, and before that was Jaws. Nice. Yeah. So There's in, one in between. I can't remember. Oh, Clueless. Clueless is in there as well? Yeah. I cannot wait for the naming conventions because the names at Orlando Meats and therefore at Reese's Pizza <laughs> are always <laughs> quite a bit of fun. Yeah. But yeah, anytime you're referencing Demolition Man. I, I'm i so, so surprised at the number of people that haven't seen the beauty of Demolition Man. Demolition Man is like if everyone went to the Nicolas Cage School of Acting and yes. were just getting it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's yes ending to the ultimate. Just, oh, my God, it's amazing. Well, and it's it's a typical 80s, 90s action film. Mm-hmm. But the humor and the satire they weave in, whether it's the Taco Bell reference mm-hmm. Or how they have intercourse in the future and how freaked out he is by that. It's just right. it's just hilarious. I think the other reason for that too is like normally it was a very early Sandra Bullock movie, so you would have had her Is she is that pre or post net? Uh oh, it's hard to tell. Pre net. I think it's it's pre I think net. It's pre. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because net was obviously so futuristic and mm. so realistic. The internets. <laughs> it's a really bad movie. But uh, yeah, the the uh, that she would have normally have been in like a negligee or something like that because it was an action movie and it was Sylvester Stallone. But instead, they did this tongue in cheek, yeah, where she's fully clothed mm-hmm. and they're doing this weird thing where they just press a button. So, actually, just watched it again after we did the pop up, and uh, 
or before uh, right around the pop-up and um there's a few flashes of someone's bare midriff and breast during the sex scene mm-hmm. and uh i mean i don't know if it's Sandra bullocks it's probably just a a lighting it might it, it was actually deep. me. I was her body double at the time. Really? Yeah. Did yeah. you have to wax? Because you're a pretty hairy gentleman. 93, 94. Lo- we did a lot of it in post. Okay. Yeah. Digital hair removal. <laughs> Digital hair removal. That's Bad business where, ideas. That's where the Marvel de-aging process started. Really? Yeah. So we started with me de-hairing me. Mm. And that uh, seems like a little bit less of an impactful from a processing exactly. standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So they were like, okay, if we can do this. Yeah. We can make people look younger. The old the Irishman is possible. Hairless proof of concept. I didn't get to see the Irishman yet, although I've I've been in love with all those guys forever. Yeah, of course. So the standard is so high that even when they do a bad movie, I'm like, meh, you know, yeah, still not so watch bad. It. Uh, and it's Righteous Kill was one that I w- I refused to accept was a bad film. Righteous Kill. De Niro and Pacino. Oh boy. And spoiler alerts. Uh, Pacino is this. He's a cop. The great cops are both really like hot shot cops. Oh, are doing yeah, great yeah, yeah. And he just goes out and kills bad guys. Yeah, as we all do sometimes. And his nickname is Rooster. It's ah, uh, <laughs> Just so good. Oh my god, I love Pacino. I wish right. I could just. Can I have a radio show where I just shake the table and scream and do him? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can. It's the internet age. I'm gonna practice. Everybody my, does everything. No. We should all do the stuff that we're good at and stop doing everything else. Oh. I had a quick aside. I'm going to try to not curse because this original quote had a ton of cursing in it. But um, uh, one of my old bosses, a sous chef, Chris, whose nickname was Horseface. um, But he uh, he had his dad was a super folksy, you know, gruff guy. Mm -hmm. And um, he had like a bunch of sayings and stuff, one of which was uh, when life hands you lemons, you stuff those lemons in your pants and make it look like you have huge balls. Um, which at first it seems crass, but really it does a very, uh, it has a very, a very, um, extensive depth to it. If you really think about it from a philosophical standpoint, the other one was, was find out what you're not good at and never do that again. Cause there's so much <laughs> stuff to do. Why would you keep Doing beating your head or... against the wall? You should find yeah. the stuff that you have a natural aptitude for and then go for it and so refine that. I think that really translates and that really segues into our topic for mm. today so we were thinking about what we we're going to talk about right now naturally i think you would come on to somebody's show and we would talk about food and we did that i think the first time around a little mm. bit yeah uh maybe for a few minutes <laughs> honestly but there's a lot more to you mm. than just food but what i found interesting about this topic that you were uh you were suggesting is that you know we never think about people who cook chefs whatever you self-identify as uh as artists necessarily or like that's not there's been a a huge kerfuffle concerning art versus craft um and and the the nature of what where where that line is blurred right you know but i think for for whether it whatever you consider it because if you look at the maker movement too Mm -hmm. you could think about that as you know not quite on the same uh art level as an artist who does this day in day out paints has been painting the picasso level stuff for their entire lives um you're still creating something right you're still putting yourself out there you're still taking a chance and i think that was sort of the the crux of the topic that you and I talked about that I could relate to the most. Mm. I think anybody could relate to who has done anything even remotely creative in their lives, whether they do that professionally on the side 
uh, under a bushel because they're <laughs> they don't want anybody to know that they do it. I I think that the the most the hardest part of truly creating and the and therefore the most meritorious and most rewarding aspect of creation whether it's a craft or an art or the blurry line betwixt is going to be being vulnerable and truly being vulnerable without reservation and just putting it out there and going hey world how do you feel about this yeah and um i think that uh it takes uh it takes a maniac to say like look i whatever lashings i get whatever derision or congratulations or adulation uh i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and let this happen and i'm gonna take it hard and i'm just whatever and yeah whatever happens um and perversely i feel like you come to crave the bad stuff you you come you I, at least i do crave a, a certain amount of trash talk because that's the only way you refine the work if everyone just says oh this is, these are great this is delicious yeah. pizza it's like well who cares dude like yeah i got it cool I got that far. Tell me what's wrong with the pizza so I can make it better. What could I have done yeah. Does to that, make it a little bit different? need more yeah. acid. And so when I first started cooking uh, professionally, I, I remember, I think I told my brother this, is that if I, 50% of my dishes work, 50% of my ideas work, then I'll be happy. And then a couple of years on, I actually made note of my progress. And I was like, man, I, I'm not okay unless, you know, unless most of them working. And now I'm to the point where... If I can't conceptualize a dish and execute it without ever tasting any of the component parts, like just having the trust in my in my work, if I can't put it together seamlessly, I'm immensely frustrated and angry and panicky. And uh, it's gotten to the point where I'm so, so focused and so vulnerable and raw that it's just like, well, then just throw it all away and we'll start again. We'll do something else. Tell me what you mean by without knowing the taste of the component parts. So if you're talking about so ingredients. There's a dish, right? And yeah. it will have, let's say, three to ten or whatever. Yeah, somewhere in there, three to five constituent parts. So the noodles, right. I'll have your, you know, a crunchy bit, a sour bit, a salt, whatever, doesn't matter. But you're Protein. saying when you're tasting it, you're not talking about tasting each piece. You're talking about tasting it as it goes. So I'm saying I'll taste the the finished component parts. I'll taste this piece, and I'll taste this piece, and yep. I'll taste this piece, and I'll say, and okay, that dish is done, and we'll put one together, and we take a picture, and it goes on the internet, and at that point, then I taste the dish together, and it should be good. It's that that tension, that stress of it has to be perfect. Like, obviously, if I'm picking up a pasta, I'm going to taste the sauce as it's going on to make sure it's seasoned yeah. right. But I'm saying, like, to make sure this works, I need it, it now almost like a, a kink it's I need the dish to be perfect from a conceptual standpoint and the the worldliness of it is almost an afterthought because once it hits the menu it's dead to me it's done yeah, yeah. It's, you have published I've it. done it and it's yeah. out there the book is published right. I don't need it. you're you're you don't need to go on the world tour right you know, signing and everything like that which is basically the internet you put it out there there as well and you've yeah. got enough of a following that people get to it so then you're the way I'm I'm hearing you describe this it's very much like creating anything else where you don't I, I think you don't want to have to tweak it is that what I'm hearing no uh so we we do instead of tweaking that dish that dish is done and then so it'll be the next the, one the ish the the dish will evolve gotcha. so um John Wayne is a is a grotesque 
judgment of humanity. This, this not is, the actor. No, no, he's dead. Um, <laughs> I mean, it might also be he's still dead. Um, the, we did a giant gross burger. It's thirteen and a half ounces or thirteen ounces across two patties, um, barbecue sauce and bacon and mayonnaise There's and a cheese, fried onion, fried on onion rings yeah. on a big old soft uh, potato roll. And it was I I squished it down and I took one giant bite of it and it like I didn't even look at it like there's nothing missing and um and it was this this thing where it's like the 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 whole point it was like performance art it was seeing a because it's by far the most expensive thing on the menu because it's the biggest thing by far that we've ever produced yeah and um uh so who would buy it at that price point who would try to eat the whole thing at that price point and like what what will this bring out of people what does it mean and so and and it was it was not the first wave predictable bunch of bros huge dudes i could eat that baba but the next wave of consumers to the john wayne was very unpredictable it was guys and or uh, couples and um usually the girlfriend would order the john wayne not knowing that it was huge mm-hmm. i don't know why they ordered it but just like oh it's a burger cool and um and sometimes if I would be like, look, it's a giant, it's a huge burger. <laughs> like you, you know what you're Give getting. Give them something. a heads up. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes not, um, just to see what happens. And, uh, so sometimes these, uh, you know, the guy would be like, oh, there's no way. And they would like to see the emotional interaction of this couple fighting or not, not bickering, but like, uh, having a conversation around this obelisk of this giant tower of meat and bread, uh, was, was like, it was like a mother's milk, man. I don't, I don't know how to... It, it was fulfilling in a way that we haven't had really much of before because it was a new social experiment that we lucked into. And, um, and then we had some, some people that would come in and just crush it by themselves. They would come in alone, eat an entire burger. People of all strata, shapes, sizes, genders, whatever, um, would come in and just destroy the whole thing and walk out calmly. Like they had just... You know what I mean? Like they were reading the Sunday newspaper... Um, there was one, uh, lady came in with her boyfriend, they, they're regulars and she timed herself. She's a bodybuilder. She timed herself eating it. Um, and, <laughs> and so like to see the interaction with this, with the world through food, especially with the John Wayne, because it's not something that I'm particularly interested in. It was, it was a social experiment. It was, uh, the result of a conversation and an interaction, a few other things. So there's that. And then the evolution of the John Wayne is... John Wayne's dead. Yeah. So, so then you change the set, but it's still a huge burger. It's pulled pork. It's uh, a giant um, patty and fried green tomatoes and uh, blue cheese. and A little bit smaller, if um, I remember. Same weight, though. Oh, really? It's more dense. Okay. Yeah. And that was part of the experiment. It's like, now it looks smaller. How are people going to try? And whatever. And um, So what happened with that go-around? It is, uh, it is just as popular, like from a sales perspective, but there's not the fetishism around it. And I think that's because it's not as huge, physically imposing. Uh, we don't stick the knife in it and all that other fanfare. And um, as and it's it, we named it John Wayne's dad, not not thinking about it, but it is like a more mature version. There's more um, there's more rich flavors, there's new things happening, it's not as like wild, it's not as it's a it's an evolutionary um, step in a direction that we feel is more sophisticated, even though it is still a grotesque burger. Um, and I, and, and to the, to the point of this, this discussion that we're having, I think that 
uh, the vulnerability aspect of it is like, are you willing to do something absolutely ridiculous and on the verge of stupidity for no other reason than for fun? Yeah. And just to see the reaction. What happens when you do this? Yeah. Um, Well, what's nice about that too, is that you were so jazzed about it because you were looking at people having a real conversation um, in many cases, a surprise conversation mm-hmm. around this thing. My that you favorite made. kind of stuff is surprise conversations. Yeah, but well, I mean, you, and you can go to. I was thinking about this the other day with all the changes that uh, Dexter's is going through. What right? now? Dexter's the murder guy. Dexter, no, sorry, the restaurant. Oh, so is that a restaurant? I think so. I'm, I'm just not, making their food's bad. No, no, no. I was, I'm, <laughs> but that was my go-to yeah. place, right? When I was younger and we would okay. always go, we would always have the same thing. Mm. And I am so... All good things that I want to hear all the time. Bored by that me, right? right? Like that was not me taking any kind of chance. That was not me. Like I can't even remember any of those conversations right. that we had when we would go there. Mm. But when I go to a place and I'm trying something crazy for the first time, I'm going to remember that. Right. When I tried bow for the first time, Ooh. when I tried, you know, royalty for the first time, when I go to those places. So was it, did you have the, the cheese mousse? I didn't. I just had like a regular okay. MST there. So I haven't had that yet. I've had some, I've eaten some weird stuff and, uh, just today or in your life this morning, I've only had espresso and Perrier. Okay, great. That's all. <laughs> There's going to be some belching and other noises. Mm-hmm. So, um, but in my life, I've eaten some some weird stuff. Not all of it, I would repeat. But um, the uh, the my first experience experience with the cheese mousse with the it's salty and it's just so comforting in a in a very familiar way. And I've been trying to get everyone to try it, and they're yeah. like, "Cheese in your coffee?" And it's like that's the that's the the normal reaction. Can you please just try it? No, and it's, and it's iced tea, right? It's not coffee? Uh, I always get the coffee version. Oh, I didn't know there was a coffee version. Dude, the coffee version. Okay. So just it's for the people coffee. out there, iced coffee on the bottom, mm-hmm. and then there's this whipped kind of, it's cream, right? And no, then it's they a just cheese. In, it's like a mascarpone. So okay. So it's a, technically a cheese. But, but it's still, it's whipped. Yeah, right? it's not like yeah. Swiss cheese chopped yeah. up in there. All <laughs> floating. You know, though, a triple cream brie, like a really funky, gross cheese kind of beat up on top might. Might be the next step. I don't mm, know. Let's, let's workshop that. So when we first opened Orlando Meats, we tried, um, you know, we make yogurt and ferments and whatever. Sure. And um, so we took this high fat yogurt and tried to make an espresso drink with it, like a cappuccino, but with yogurt. It is a very bad decision. <laughs> we, it was a very bad misstep. On, and I tried over and over. I'm like, I can make this work. It, it'll make sense, I promise. And like we tried with caramel yogurt and this and that. We keep making different kinds of yogurt and different fermentation processes, high fat, low fat, whatever, and just failure, abject Never. failure. Yeah. I still I still keep hope alive that I can do a yogurt espresso drink eventually. But this the acidity, back-to-back acidity, so the acidity of the yogurt and acidity of the coffee is just bracing in a way that's not comfortable. All right. Well, let's leave it at that for now. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. We'll take a break and uh, come back and talk a little bit more about the vulnerability of the artist mm-hmm. putting yourself out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, arm wrestling contests mainly, but also over the top. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone Hawks. I mean, he's so great. Yeah. He's been in everything that I want to be in. That sounds weird. Uh, <laughs> so let's leave it at that. Iron and wine walking far from home from the kiss each other clean album you're listening to odd numbers on wprk winter park florida
previously to a certain degree. How can we have Cyber Monday without Jeremy Sagers on the show? It's an annual tradition, not unlike the story of Scrooge, Marley, Spirits, and the rest of the cast of A Christmas Carol, which, coincidentally, Jeremy directed at the Garden Theater. Get to know your own past, present, and future on this episode, if you dare. Now back to the show. Iron and Wine on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, from the Kiss Each Other Clean album from 2010, a world ago. What, 2010? No, 2010 was a world ago. Mm. That wasn't anything to do with the album. Wake me up before you go-go? Yes. Before you world ago? King Far (laughs) From Home was the name of the song. Good morning. My name is Nick. Odd numbers here on WPRK with my very special guest, Elliot Hillis. Good morning, Elliot. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Getting up early. It's your day off. It's not early for me. (laughs) Getting up early for me. Fair enough. And driving somewhere Mm. rather than just, it's still your day off. You know, you didn't have to come in here. You could have just uh, done whatever it is you do on your day off. Remember, there is no weekend. That's true. No, I I like to constantly be fiddling around with stuff. So mm-hmm. if I wasn't here, I have a few batches of natto that are need need dealing with, and then a batch of koji that has to go down today. And then I'm gonna go kayaking later, and then I have to record the show with you at at dinner time today. Uh, Offcuts podcast. So yeah, which and everyone should subscribe to if they're not already subscribed to it. You should tell me the things you were talking about though beforehand. The what? batches of natto. Yeah. Uh, natto is a traditionally it's um, soybeans that have been um, fermented in water with no salt, which is a very touchy thing for most Americans to deal with because it smells horrifying. And then once it's done for that for 24 hours, then you inoculate it with a a batch of uh, or sorry a, a kind of bacteria that's specific to this action. Mm-hmm. It's Natto lactobacillus, and it develops a sticky goopy stringy like texture um it's a uh, off-putting um Mm -hmm. for most people and it's like uh it's like blue cheese without the cheese so it's like it smells exactly like blue cheese like dead on yeah but it's soybeans and it's uh it's somehow harder to eat even though i love blue cheese like super funky blue cheese is fine but the with the natto it's it's rough. So what do you, I mean, you obviously don't just eat it by itself. What do you use it in? So it's in Japan, it's considered brain food, health food, and mm. nobody particularly likes the taste, but you learn to love it because of the health benefits. And so the bioavailability of, uh, of the nutrients and minerals and, and just straight calories are, um, it's, it's so high and you can feel like you, I don't know if it's just that it's disgusting tasting but you feel like this rush of like energy and and focus and stuff and so in japan they think it's brain food they they purport it as such it's almost it's on the verge of medicine and um so it's like a uh, crazy power bar yeah exactly and so i started experimenting with it about three months ago four months ago and um as a hangover cure for all my friends who get too drunk all the time um i don't personally drink but um i do burn the candle at both ends and also in the middle sometimes. And uh, I can understand that being run down, you'd need like a little pep and a pick-me-up. Caffeine will just string us all out. And uh, what if there was like a thing that we just haven't been exposed to that could help us? And I don't know if you know this, but the salarymen in Japan 
drink super hard, like blackout drunk, and then they yeah. go back to work every day. The well, so day. what's the solution? Yeah. Is it, you know, are they just better than us? Maybe, possibly, probably, but um, maybe not though. And so I started eating natto uh, pre-workout and it, it helped and I saw a ton of results and like a additional burst of energy. It might also be anecdotal and um, completely psychosomatic. Yeah, yeah for but, sure. And so I started but even so. Yeah. If it works, it works. Yeah. Fine. And it's gross. So, you know, I'm in for that. And um, <laughs> so I started giving it to different people. Some people as workout stuff. Some people as hangover cure and see what happens and just put it out in the world. And the results have been I haven't had anyone that says it didn't do anything for me. It's just gross. And uh, so you just have to keep testing and keep producing. And part of it is producing a stronger natto that people will eat. And part of it is producing a more delicious natto that maybe people would like to eat eventually. Um, so I've tried with different beans. I've tried with hominy, um, fewer things. And you, to, to, the, to the point of our conversation today, the vulnerability of failure. Yeah. I've lost, uh, I don't know, 15 batches of natto. They just, they don't survive. And so I have to throw away dead, gross bacteria-laden beans, just trash. Inedible or dangerous or... How do you tell the difference? Just before we get back into the topic, how do you tell the difference? The nose knows. Oh, you yeah. should trust your, your tactile ability. Yeah. Um, and so you, in cases, you don't even have to taste it. You can just tell. Uh, sometimes I taste it. I've poisoned <laughs> myself on a number of occasions, sometimes on purpose. To see what That's I can good. handle. Then you're more immune to poisoning in the future. Yeah. It's a good <laughs> good way to live your life. Uh, I mean, for a while at least. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe better, but not as long. When, it's, uh, when it comes to something like that, um, you know, when we talk about the arts or the artist or the vulnerability of making something, that can apply to a lot of different things. So you're talking about, you know, converting beans into... Uh, essentially a, a brain food or a power mm. bar or something like that. Trying. As opposed to something that you do in the kitchen uh, at work where you're trying to make something tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to something like offcuts. So I wanted to talk a little bit like about that because that is putting yourself out there in a different way. Um, it's a very easy thing to get into. I see a lot of, I don't remember what the stat is, but there's thousands of new podcasts. I heard 700,000 uh, yeah, podcasts yeah, and 200,000 of which are active. Yeah, because there's a lot of them. I, I was recently going to Columbus and I was like, you know, the way the way I've developed searching for where to go in a town is I would ask people if they know about it, mm-hmm. right? And then I would go, I used to go to Yelp. I don't go to Yelp anymore. I was going to Instagram to look at pictures and try to mm-hmm. glean some insights there. And that would help a little bit. But then I started thinking, you know, this last trip to Columbus, which I, I should know very well because I've been going for 40 something years. That's a lot of years. That's many, many years to be going to one place and not know it very well. But uh, I was thinking podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so Columbus Podcasts, easy, search for it. And 90% of them were dead. You know, they'd started, they did three episodes, they did five episodes, they were done. They put they themselves, just run out of gas? They put themselves out there. And for whatever reason, they weren't getting, I, I imagine in some cases, they felt like they weren't getting the notoriety that they thought they should after putting as much work as they did in it because it is That's only three times. It can but it can be the setup can be a little bit arduous. I guess. Um they maybe thought that they would have it would be more well received is what I'm thinking. 
you know, I thought about it from my perspective mm-hmm. that when I was younger, if I didn't get a laugh, if I didn't get a reaction, if I didn't get a uh, some sort of uh, compliment on something, then why was I doing it? And you should do it because the act itself is at least cathartic. Right. It's a release. It's a great way to, uh, you know, it's it's the power bar. Mm. It's the natto all over again, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just a natto for your for your emotions. Mouth. Yeah. Wait, no, that don't, doesn't make sense. Don't go to therapy. <laughs> just spew, just, just spew stuff into the ether. Right. Um, yeah. But, I, but you know, putting yourself out there on a on a podcast level, mm. like, what was that like for you going into it, and what did you? What did you think would happen? What actually happened? What were you pleasantly surprised by? So it, it happened at a time in my life. Um, the first, the first, I was on a podcast, a Scotch and Good Conversation. Yep. Peter Von Tversky, uh, great podcast. Probably two years ago yep. was a, on, on his show for the first time. That's when you were working back at the, the uh, bison. bison. Yeah. Bison Orlando. Yep. Um, God, that's going to be three years ago now. Mm-hmm. So um, like, uh, and I, I loved it. I absolutely adored the the act of it, the catharsis, and the fact that this this conversation was happening, and also kind of an egomaniac, and it felt nice to to know that I was back performing again. I used to be in bands back in the day, which again didn't net me anything. Um, pair of masturbatory nonsense, and so um, so I went on a show again, and I was like, man, you gotta let me. I gotta do a show. I gotta have a show, and um, nothing came of it. He's super busy, and like we tried a couple episodes, but. Nobody wanted to to produce it because it was uh, really aggressive and it <laughs> just not a fun time. So around the same time, I was like going through some bad stuff uh, in my life or some some rough stuff, emotionally speaking. And um, so I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of things to do. And I, I just started reaching out to all my friends in the entertainment business. I um, I would take every chance to do an interview or take every chance to be on a podcast and. Um, and it, it worked both ways because people wanted to interview me and people wanted to put me in magazines. And at the same time we were on TV and there was a few things happening with Orlando meets and they're like, you should, you should pursue this podcasting. And so the last straw was, I was on, um, I was on what's the fuss, which I don't even think is on anymore. No, they're still around. Oh, yeah. I just ran into Rocky the other day. Oh, cool. What's the fuss is still around. Awesome. Good for him. And, um, so Rocky was kind enough to let me on because we met at a, a, a meetup at some he was at, it was a meetup at Orlando oh, Meets. Really? yeah that's what and, I mentioned uh, yeah and so we went on I went on there and I talked to Etchy which I had met, met previously for a show called The Food Virgin which he did which probably never be released and um, so I thought hey would you be down to do produce my show I have a show that I want to do concept so came and had like a loose meeting at his studio and studio quotes and <laughs> um we, we just developed a show over the course of like two days, uh, talking back and forth, and it, then it goes. Um, the first episode, first two episodes were released, or sorry, first episode was released, second episode was cut, never to be, just a lot of stuff happened, it was not good content, and then now going on, after I think uh, Allison joined 14 episodes or 12 episodes in, mm-hmm. Rob Chase had left, um, you know, we had kind of refined what we wanted, and now we're 42. Two episode forty two was just released, and um, so we're coming up on a year, and we've gotten so much better that now when people said, "Oh, I just started listening to," I'm going starting from the first. I was like, "Please don't! This is horrifying!" Like, 
the in in such a short amount of time we've gotten so much better as as to be like I wish that this was a different show. If we if we could move all of our listeners now because the reception has been quite good and that our numbers have grown, you know, at an appreciable rate I'm told. Um so if there was a way to take everybody and say okay, that's old offcuts, don't worry about the first you know, right, 12 episodes right. and then look or at new no, Understand, go into it with eyes wide open mm-hmm. that this sounds different right. for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think for, for just about everybody, the first 20 episodes are practice. Right. Um, because you're just still finding your voice, you're still finding your footing and doing all those things. And really, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, you're not going to go back to the first episodes. I hope nobody goes back to my first episodes. They're terrible. I go through everyone's stuff. So um, I love uh, Time Suck with Dan Cummins oh, and yeah. My Favorite Murder. And I've, I've listened to all those. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes. But I listen constantly. to. I've, I think I did 110,000 minutes or whatever of Spotify, oh, Spotify. told me. It's like a ton. I don't know how many more minutes there are in a They're year. They're like, you have three years. <laughs> how do you do that? It's crazy. Um <laughs> So I listen constantly and um, Tom and Dan, same. I was just on their show. And I mean, to watch, to look at where they are, how talented and how tight everything they do is in comparison to what I do. It's like going to work. It's like go to, to work with your daddy day. You know what I'm saying? Take your daughter to work day or whatever it is. It's like, man, like this is like they have wallpaper that has their logo on it and they have mm-hmm. like chairs that have their name on it and they have like, you know, cameras everywhere and People send them dildos. I don't know why that is, but, <laughs> you know. You got to earn that. You, you got to earn You got to have done fame. radio and podcasting for a number of years right. before that happens. So, um, yeah, to that's what we're striving for, essentially. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever try to make podcasting a, a job, but it's certainly a creative release and something that I... The uh, same thing with food is that I do the things that I wanted to to listen to or to eat or to whatever, you know, I wanted a chunkier noodle. So I made a chunkier noodle. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make uh prosciutto out of duck. So cool. We're done here. Like, cause you just can't get it necessarily, or you can't get it for a reasonable price. So mm-hmm. I had to make it. Um, and so, um, it's the same thing with podcasts. All the food podcasts that I listen to are either, um, guys that I really look up to, but they're not necessarily the style that I like, like Chang and Ruleman. Uh, they both have podcasts, and those are those are awesome. Um, but the all the, everybody else that's um, that's doing a little bit more loosey goosey stuff, it's all interview. Like, oh, how did you get started? Did your grandmother teach right. you how to cook? Right. Cool, whatever. We all had that story. But like, what's the nitty gritty inside of you that makes you hate yourself enough to just burn and cut yourself constantly? Why are you bleeding right now? Like, what do you feel like? And how do we joke when we're in the kitchen? And that's way more powerful to me. And that's way more. Um, it's much more. Um, beautiful to see the grit and the disgusting nature of like how monstrous you can be and how beautiful you can produce and like where's the cross section there? What is it like to not have slept? Like uh, so we I did a memorial thing for a, a very important woman in the Orlando scene. Um, you know, a, a, hundreds of people came together last night to uh, to honor this woman who spent her life giving back to the Orlando community. And it was amazing. And I was happy to be part of it. I was, I barely knew I met her twice my whole life and I was happy to give everything I could possibly do my time, whatever. And, um, you know, I, I worked 17 hours yesterday and then crashed at like 10:30 and got up at four o'clock in the morning and now I'm here with you. And so 
Like, what does that produce? Does that produce a better human? Does the act of being vulnerable make you more human? Less human is, uh, what is the context of humanity? And does being vulnerable um, net you anything positive or is it just a stance to take? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, you know, I'm thinking about my own, it's bringing me back to a lot of conversations or a lot of experiences that I had growing up because we're at the holidays, I'm spending more time with family and everything else. And we're typically a really guarded family in terms of like, we'll talk about politics. We'll talk about all that stuff and we'll argue about all that stuff, but we're never vulnerable with each other. We're never talking about how we feel. We're never talking or at least directly to the other person, right? It's, it's going to be, maybe I say something to my sister so that my mom will find out that this is going on. Uh, and it's so passive aggressive, it's very passive aggressive. Why not just regular aggressive? Just get it out. Well, I, I, there's some of that too, but then it, it leans into like, uh, the, the just fighting to fight. So right. anyway, but not to talk about no, my no, family no, that out of is, term, but, but isn't coming, that indicative of everything else? Like, um, you know, uh, I'm attracted to the kind of people that are, both, both romantically and other in friendships and everything else that that are willing to play with me yeah. with the games that I want to play. You know what I mean? Like I want to have very passionate discussions. I want to uh, wander around in the woods and in the water and whatever. I want to eat a a large amount of incredibly spicy food. I and so the people that are willing to meet me at the places I want to go are the best of my friends. You know. And so the same thing emotionally, the people that are willing to be vulnerable with me in the same way that I'm capable of being vulnerable with them, they're going to be my best friends um, and my closest friends and everything else. And the people that are incapable are naturally going to fall away and, you know, and more power to them. Fine. Um, But uh, and I think the same thing goes with art when we're talking about um, how and, and food to a lesser extent, because I think that a lot of people just crib and never actually become vulnerable at all. Um, but, uh, right. You're just making what you know, or you're making what you know, tastes good. Well, okay. So a digression, if you'll indulge me, of course. um, Hunter S Thompson, <laughs> Hunter S Thompson, uh, back in the day used to get, uh, his typewriter out and he would type Hemingway, like literally book to one side. He would type page after page, letter by letter, exactly what Hemingway wrote. People would ask him like, why are you doing this? And he'd say, I want to feel what it's like to write like Hemingway wrote to know what the strokes are like the movements and whatever. And, um, I found that parallel in my life when I was first started cooking, I was cooking other people's yeah. books, you yep. know, you look at what they had produced and you learn their methods and hopefully you learn directly from that person. That's the best way to someone that created a dish. You're learning that dish from them and, and you learn how they write, so to speak. And then through their voice, your own voice emerges because you learn the skills from them. And the, the thing that makes you you in the milieu um, emerges eventually once you're good enough. Same thing with playing guitar. You learn the scales. You learn other people's tunes and you, their styles. And then your style emerges if you practice hard enough. I think most people become arrested in that I've learned other people's styles moment. And they're just right. done. They never learn to create in and of themselves and the voice that is theirs. And maybe they don't have one and that's fine. Um, but I think that those, the people that do have an emergence of a voice, it's, it's incumbent upon us to use it. If you have it, you should, you know, give it a shot. 
one, put yourself out there yeah. and potentially fail. fail. But it's a it's a lot. Like um, famously, Scratch. Do you remember Scratch? No. In Winter Park. It's right down the street. It's where oh, yeah, yeah, Tin yeah. and Taco is going into yeah. a little blue donut company. Yeah. Well, maybe that space is a good example of being put yeah. out there. Scratch was amazing. Scratch was a very, mm. very, very good restaurant. Dustin yeah. and um, Ashley and then the, um, Ashley's sister and a couple of people. It doesn't matter. Um, but they were amazing food, whatever. Um, busy all the time. But they... On one side, incredibly talented, doing great stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, really, really delicious food in this kooky environment that, you know, if you tried to, like, if you looked at it during the day, it'd probably be gross. But at night, it was, like, you know, awesome. And um, really talented cooks went through there. And everybody in the service industry loved going there. It was open until 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and so they were producing really good stuff. And they put themselves out there, and they were vulnerable, and they were rewarded for it. But they were also disorganized lunatics. So it didn't last. But they tried, and they did a cool thing. It was a cool moment in time to the point where years later I'm still talking about it. Yeah. You know? Um, and then Little Blue Donut goes into the same space, and they made donuts. And now they're gone. Um, the The question is, is, is anyone going to remember, and I don't mean, I'm not putting, I'm not being mean to Little Blue Donuts on purpose, but the question is, is like, is Little Blue Donuts putting themselves out there in a way that's impactful in a craft or artistic standpoint that it will matter to anybody years later. That space to me will always be scratches Scratch. old kitchen. Yeah. Um, you know, and then now tin and taco is going in there. Um, so I, I, you know, tin and taco is good. So <laughs> maybe well, it'll be, it's great. Is it? Yeah. I, yeah, I actually used to work right next to it. Really? I used to go there all the time. I, but is it is it impactful in a way that's like creative? I'm saying, I'm saying, not saying the donuts are bad. I'm saying no, no, no. I I know exactly what you're saying. And so, is it the first place I would think of if I needed something sweet? Is it the first place that I would think of if I needed, you know, that pick me up or wanted to take the kids out or mm. do something along those lines? Right. Um, maybe not. Right. Is it the first place I would take people coming from out of town? And I would say, I know you're into donuts, so we're going to go here. Right. You know, probably uh, not. But the idea of, you know, I guess where you're going with that is what was the innovative factor? What were they not doing innovative. that wasn't... What are well, they that doing? wasn't just beyond yeah. the donuts. So they cool. had really good coffee. They had really good donuts. But what else is there? Okay, so let's do the coffee thing because that, that works really well. So like Lineage. I don't know if you know those dudes. Ryan and Jared, right? So one of the, I think one of the best episodes I've listened to of Offcuts is with Ryan. with Ryan. Yeah, he's an amazing man. Well, and also because I was learning about the process of where the coffee comes from and the coffee bean and mm-hmm. all of that. Like but, I had no idea any so that's of that the, was. That's the craft side where yeah. he knows his science. He knows the methodology and stuff. But if you look into his amazingly blue eyes when he's talking about it and how excited he gets and the the vulnerability of him giving everything over to this this moment of coffee and his understanding he is a part of coffee and coffee is an indelible part of him and that vulnerability that conversation translates into their work in a way that i i have a lineage tattoo like that in a way that that coffee is better for them having existed and the question of of the vulnerability and of of arts and and of uh, craft work is when you're doing something will that is is the thing you're doing better for you having done it or 
is this just a thing that you're putting out in the world and it has no, uh, you're not doing anything. Why well, bother? It, well, I feel like, though, that's that's a lot of pressure, though. That right? is a huge amount of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. But good. You're just good. So <laughs> yes. on the one hand, let me just uh, two other op- two other situations there right. on the other well, on the one hand, if you're just trying to go out and have a business and there's nothing more to it than you're delivering sandwiches, then then have a then have a dry cleaning business, man. <laughs> why not? Why? But I why not sandwiches? Because. Why, if you're going to bother to do something, do it with purpose. Okay. But what if uh, on the other side of that, if I'm just not necessarily dipping my toes, I enjoy doing this one thing, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to do it any more than this. Do you mean on an amateur level or? Yeah, on an amateur level, whether it's podcasting or something else like that. Yeah. Sure. Fine. So that's okay. And maybe, and maybe, on a professional level. Maybe to that end, you decide that, oh, Sam from Nearby Naturals, and this is a local. Radio show, so I can mention all these guys. Yeah. Sam from Nearby Naturals and uh, Soroya, also Nearby Naturals. Common Law, Marriage, I don't know what their deal is. They're very cute. Um, so they used to have a pop-up called Gastromancer. And if you talk to Sam, he, what happened to Gastromancer? He doesn't like food to the degree that it takes to cook food constantly. But he's very, very talented at mushrooms. So he went through his life cycle, you know. he I actually met him when he was a young cook at Chocos, and uh, he met Soroya there. And um, so they went on and they traveled the world and they, they started Gastromancer and they made food and they gave up because it sucks to cook and not be passionate about it. And they did their own thing and now they're producing mushrooms because they couldn't find mushrooms. And now they're the best mushroom producer as far in, in Florida. I don't probably more, probably a broader reach, but I don't know. You know, I can speak to that, that there's nobody else producing mushrooms like his and hers in Florida. So boom, he found the thing that he's really good at and he put it out there. He, you know, he probably put himself in debt buying the the equipment and the and sure. whatever, he sleepless nights fawning over these little oyster mushrooms <laughs> and whatever. That's an amazing and direct comparison. Ryan from Lineage and um, you know, uh there's there's a, a dozen of us in Orlando that have really just put it out there like lunatics and it's it's paid off more for others in some ways and uh, Steve from Gideon's. Yeah. He developed this cookie, this one singular, and I, I hesitate to call it a cookie because it, it, it it's something different more in every way yeah. about it. It's yeah. a revolution in cookie technology or whatever. It's a different, it's a, the epoch of cookies has changed. You I know? mean, cookies so, were the same for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. The event horizon of Steve, Steve, came, Steve along. came along and then look, he <laughs> messed up the game for everybody. Yeah. So again, this dude, and if you listen to his story, he was on the show. Uh, he was vulnerable. He, episode, he said, yeah. try these cookies, try these cookies to all his friends, family, blah, blah, blah. He kept refining it and until it, it's ready to be released into the wild. And he released the wild. And look at what happened. They do a thousand cookies a day out of, out of uh, East End Market. Market. Yeah. A thousand. Eat a thousand grains of rice. Like that's a huge number of anything, right? Um, probably not rice. You're probably okay eating a thousand grains I, of I'm rice. I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I went, I went too, too hard on that comparison. But um, so being vulnerable has a payoff. But I think that not being vulnerable has a much worse um, consequence. So if, you, if you're vulnerable and you fail, cool, whatever, at least you try. But if you're non vulnerable, then you have that like dispassionate distancing. You can say, oh, well, at least I didn't do I wasn't even trying. Yeah, I failed, no but I didn't even try. Regrets. There's no anything. But I think, and I've tried and w- with recess, like it didn't work out, you know. 
Um, and there was, you know, emotional aspect to that for sure. But the moment that we came back and we started doing pop-ups and people were losing their minds, we sold out in an hour and a half our first time back into the game. So recess pizza, just really quick, mm-hmm. uh, it was a concept you started out at our, not Orlando Brewing, but Orange County Brewing. Yeah, Orange County Brewing. Downtown because they had a pizza oven. So you went mm-hmm. in there and tried it out. Doing well, and then having all of a sudden, never made pizza before in my entire life. Excellent point. Uh, and they shut down. They moved. They decided to move. Yeah. Um, and so you bring it back as a concept is as in, a standalone concept. Yeah. yeah it, well, as and as a pop up for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, could well, be that's the question later. we get constantly, yeah. even in Orlando Meats. It's like, hey, are you gonna? When are you getting a brick and mortar for recess? Like, I don't know. Maybe never. Yeah. Like, I, if that makes sense financially, cool. Because I have to. I have partners. I'm the creative aspect of, of uh, right. Orlando Meets Corporation. There's a lot more We're a to corporation. It. Did you know that? Of but, course you are. Right. That's crazy. So, or conglomeration, whatever the big one is. We're like big. It, it freaked me out when I heard about it. But so I'm the creative aspect. And I don't, I try not to think about money too much because it'll stifle your, your creativity. And at a the end of the bit. day, we're trying to make a profit so we can pay our bills and stuff. Um, so they have to keep me in line and I have to remind them that sometimes we take risks and, and so back and forth, this conversation goes and I'm the vulnerable aspect on an emotional level and they're the vulnerable aspect on a financial level because mm-hmm. there's hundreds of thousands of dollars moving around, you know, all the time. And so um, everyone's kind of on edge all the time. And that produces, at least in my experience, that produces a better product because now we're all, we all have skin in the game. We all care about this more than everything. This is only this moment we're all open, vulnerable, raw. We care more than you can really measure, you know. And um, I think that not enough people play at that level that are willing to just give everything, to stand naked amidst the crowd and say, like, look, who who wants some? What are we doing here? You know? <laughs> who wants some? Metaphorically also, speaking. What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Yes, and. So I like it. Uh, I think that, and in and back to the podcasting, because I, for me, well, let's leave it at that. Okay, for now, because we're already at the end of the first hour. Wow. Yeah. Wowie zowie. I'm enjoyed to talk to you. You are just a pleasure. So we'll play some commercials, mm-hmm. and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the podcast. Okay. Putting yourself out there with that. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Odd Numbers on WPRK in Winter <laughs> Park, Florida. <laughs> Elliot Hillis is here. Uh, Elliot Hillis on Instagram at Salt Forge. Yes. And, of course, at Offcuts Podcast Mm -hmm. and at Orlando Meats. And Recess. And Recess Pizza. Yeah. And there might be a secret one in there, too. There's two. (laughs) There's two secret ones. Yeah, there's Clandestine Crunch, which is our secret menu for Orlando Meats. And then there's Cat House Labs, which is our secret charcuterie program. Great. Yeah. A lot of secrets. We'll talk about that more in the second hour. Secrets make friends. (laughs) You're listening to Odd Numbers on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. Pizza, the world's most perfect food, full of all the things you need to keep you alive. Bread, cheese, sauce, toppings, and the secret ingredient, love. And no one puts more love into their pies than recess pizza. I don't know how you would measure that, so I feel safe making that claim. Follow them on the social medias and go to recesspizza.com for the latest pop-up locations. Hey! The next one is at Red Light, Red Light on December 27th. Will I see you there?
I, I'm asking. Well, you don't have to answer now. Now back to the show. Audio Slave on WPRK, mm-hmm. Winter Park, Florida. Yep. I'm the Highway from their self-titled album. <laughs> A band that wasn't around uh, very long, and then obviously we lost Chris Cornell. Uh, yeah, so Chris Cornell and some of the members of Rage Against the Machine, if you're not familiar with that band. it's Everybody but Zach, right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I That's got to feel pointed. Uh, I think there was some stuff going on. There's still always this stuff going. With, Him and Tom never stop yeah, fighting. with them. Speaking of being vulnerable, good morning. My name is Nick. I do this every week, and every week I have a very special guest. Returning guest Elliot Hillis is here. Good morning, Elliot. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay. okay. And I'm going to do your show tonight. Yeah. So I will be on. Mm-hmm. I'll be ready. Yeah. I will be hilarious. Hopefully. With any luck. Good, good. I'm glad we're setting expectations <laughs> this low. Tonight's this episode early. is, I don't know if I told you, eggs. Eggs, yeah. Yeah. Ova and or ovum. Mm-hmm. Which I think one is singular plural. and one is plural. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Ovum, plural. Wonderful. See? Got it. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't listened to Offcut's podcast, you can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. But Elliot's first love, uh, you're, you're basically your passion is food. Uh, cooking uh so not first love but I, no well, i mean uh my mom jokes that my first love was marijuana no she tells me that i told her that at some point in my teen years which i mean i guess maybe okay well good. probably happened yeah um does no, sound I, like something you would say to your mom yeah <laughs> i uh said a lot of stuff to her over the years. i love you and marijuana um yeah so i i think food is um and going back to the thing i said about ryan like a food is an indelible part of my experience in life mm-hmm. um just like every other you know cook i grew up my family loved food and i did the food and i took over the food responsibilities as much as i was capable throughout my um growing up years and then uh i didn't pursue it because my parents actively said you need to go to college and get a square job and i <laughs> they didn't say square job <laughs> that's the thing and then um so I uh, tried that and it did not work and I ended up getting a restaurant job and I did very, very well at it and I excelled. And um, I think that my mental illnesses such as they are are very well suited for the kitchen. You know, I'm allowed to do, I'm allowed to work out my issues in food and on people in restaurants where I could not do that in a corporate environment. All right, and we won't go into any more detail than that because that sounds <laughs> really uh, human resourcey. No, no, no. So, like, um, Seth and I, Seth kind of had to make a rule. That's my my work husband. Um, mm-hmm. We've been together for four years now across three, four restaurants. Yeah. So, um, but there's a, there's a rule is that I try to scream less in the morning when he's around because not none, but less. Just because I, I'm not an angry screamer. I don't scream out of frustration or rage or anything. I just scream. Just a just a nonstop onslaught of just like vocal noises and like yelling jokes and into nothing. It's the same show whether someone's there or not. Sure. Like it's whatever. Um, and uh, I get like a lot of, I ride my scooter to work in the morning and I get a lot of weird looks from the bums at like 4.30 in the morning because I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs and they can't hear the music. 
that I'm listening to. <laughs> and so they're just like terrified of this weirdo. My happening? hair's up and, you know, I'm just yelling and riding a tiny little scooter, like comically small scooter compared to my body size. Yeah. So take like that, one of those everyone. Ones that you would ride across the trapeze. No, it's like an adult version of a Razor scooter. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That's fine. So that's how I live. So starting out in podcasting, we're talking about sort of putting yourself out there, being vulnerable. Not sort of, but that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, The podcast aspect of it, you continue to do it. You're on episode 42. You'll be recording episode 43 tonight. Mm -hmm. Did you find that at some point, I know that I went through this process of uh, occasionally having a bad episode. Yeah. Occasionally what I felt like was a bad episode, Mm -hmm. you know, and thinking... I could give this up. No. I could not do this anymore. I never have. And be fine. So you're when you're doing a project, you're all in. But what happens when you're all out? Like what would it take for you to just say, okay, I'm done with this? When when is the finished product for you? When there's no more sand. Um, does that make sense? Like uh I'm so far into the cooking thing now, and and thankfully so and, and happily so. Um, so far into that, that there's nothing else for me. Like I've, I've sold my lot. That's it. I'm going to always do that. Okay. Um, and podcasting isn't to that degree yet. I don't have to do it. It's not something that I rely on for food and shelter, but, um, in the daydream of what if I were to get very famous from podcasting, would I be happy with that? The logical extension of what I'm doing now, would that fulfill me? Um, uh, I don't know. So we'll see. I don't, I don't see the end of that. Um, so it's the same thing. Um, and maybe this is, I don't mean it to be an unfair comparison, but having children, Mm -hmm. so in relationships I've had, have the discussion of, uh, would I want to have kids? Yes. Under these circumstances and the circumstances generally are, and then it's ebbed and flowed, but, um, I'd like to not work. I'd rather be a stay at home dad. If nothing else for having clean sheets every day, Mm -hmm. that's like, uh, is that a weird thing? That you want to I would wash love your to sheets change, every day? No, not wash. I want a bunch of sets. Right? Okay. I want to change the sheets every day. So my wife come home. The sheets are clean. The house is clean. The kids are clean-ish, whatever degree, degree kids can be clean. And, and still alive. Yeah, hopefully. And then, you know, or at least clean. And then um, they, uh, like, everyone is dressed and fed and there's dinner on the table for my wife and she's a, the breadwinner or we're independently wealthy, which would be nice. And, um, you know, and, and so that's the dream. That's the perfect pinnacle. And then, you know, cause I would get to fulfill all the cooking for me and this, sorry, cooking for me is an act of service that is fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the creativity of it is because I want to fulfill a need that somebody else has that they might not even know that they have. Um, with not just caloric, but like a desire to eat something. The that moment where you where somebody says, "I didn't even know I was craving that thing until I started eating it," um, and that's like, wow, that's super. That's fulfilling. a magic it's amazing. moment. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the in the rare instances where I've fed somebody their last meal, or in the rare instances where I've driven somebody to tears because of something that I've made, that is worth every other thing. And so I I can imagine to that extension, having children and being able to do that for them and for my future wife or whatever. And um, if uh, I'm sure 
it is also equally as frustrating because the stakes are so much higher because you can't quit a, a parent job. You're a parent, right? Yeah, I, I haven't quit yet. Yeah, you can't quit. You can't just be like, you know what? Keep my last paycheck. I'm out of here. And <laughs> so the stakes are higher and you're more likely to be vulnerable. And and yet you have to like... You have to keep going back. children. Yeah. You have, every yeah. morning you have to get up and you have to keep doing this thing. And this child is like a little sociopath because they haven't learned all the niceties of society yet. And that's your job. Your job is to teach them those things. And uh, so it's it's one of those... Uh, things that I'd like to do, but I haven't got on that roller coaster yet, and it's a long, forever roller coaster. <laughs> so I want to be sure that I want to do it. The same thing with podcasting. At least with podcasting, I can, I can keep doing it in, until I don't want to anymore, mm-hmm. and we'll see. Um, and and you you keep bringing up podcasting as being the the more vulnerable aspect, but like for me, cooking is a much more vulnerable moment. It's very direct, and you stand in judgment much more. Uh, abruptly. So then in that case, is podcasting more of a release for you because the stakes aren't as high? I think it's an extension. It's me doing more in the foray of food than just cooking. Um, you know, in, in the same vein as like writing a cookbook or being a food critic or um, extending my skills beyond just um, what people would see as like classic cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went from uh, being a kitchen creep to amateur food scientist in the in the foray of fer- uh, fermentation, and then um, learning the extent of butchery, which oh was nothing was you know everyone brings up like oh you own a butcher shop and you you must love butchery and I mean it's it's like one of the easiest things I've ever learned to do. It's not hard at all. I can teach you in an afternoon. Um, if you have good knife skills, you're fine. Totally. All the bones are all in the same place all the time. You're fine. Um, There's never any bones. There's there's some weird. Sometimes, yeah, there's some weird stuff, but it's few and far between. All right. Yeah, it is. It is really. I'm surprisingly disappointed that there's not like random bones, spikes, and oh, there's spurs and stuff, but much less often than you might expect. And um, it's uh, it's more of an annoyance than a discovery. You're like. Now I got to deal with this and there's loss associated with that because you have Mm. to cut around this weird thing and whatever. But yeah, um, there's a certain satisfaction in a job well done, but um, butchery is the tiniest aspect of what we do at Orlando Meat. So like the creation, the, the intellectual creation of the pizza dough, say for recess or some of the doughs that we make for Orlando Meats, the pastas specifically, mm-hmm. are so, it was so emotionally and intellectually taxing to create that as to be like on the verge of mental breakdown. And it took in some instances years to get to where we are now. Um, and some it was just an instantaneous change. And then we're, we're where we are um, with with butchery, it was, oh, I know the uh, European style of butchery. I now know the Japanese style of butchery. The Chinese style of butchery is a little more rustic than I would like, so we're not doing that one. And meld all the best stuff. And guess what? You're a lefty, so deal with that. And you're short, so deal with the leverage issue, and boom. And so I've developed a style of butchery that's different than most people, but it's not revolutionary, and it's hard to teach because how many left-handed short guys are there that are looking to be <laughs> looking to be advanced butchers? Well, we can put an ad out. Yeah, any yeah. any five foot seven, left-handed, stocky 
guys that are looking to get into butchery and are willing to, um, you know, get yelled at about the intricacies of cartoons. Yeah. Feel free to or text be me. around someone yelling about it. You're uh, not necessarily yelling at people. Yeah. Let me ask you this because it brought up, a, uh, I think, what might be a good conversation point. If no one's, it's kind of the, if a tree falls in the forest, mm-hmm. if no one is seeing that vulnerability, is it really being vulnerable? And I'll use the pizza dough for recess as an example. Mm-hmm. I know that it's delicious. I know that a lot of work went into it. Right. Most people will not. So I are you don't still, know that that's accurate. Because are you so still that's, putting that's yourself the, out there? That's the stance that we took. We yep. took that no one will ever understand what we did to make this dough crazy. Uh, yep. But the overarching thing that we keep getting back as feedback is your dough is so much different than everybody else's. It's so weird. What's the deal? And so then we go to our general spiel. Like it's an alkalized dough. It's a, the hydration's different. We, we use different kinds of sugars. We're scientists, weirdos. Like it's more science than it is uh, art at this point. We're figuring out the best thing that we want from the dough. We're doing that. Um, and uh, the ability to take the emotion out of it is, is a very important part of what we do. Mm. To, to have incredible, a deluge of constant emotions and then to be like, all right, guess what? That doesn't matter. We need to take care of this part and to say the science of this makes sense and this is why we're doing it. And um, and so so we, we thought that people honestly wouldn't care. But we had the same response to our white bread. We're, it took me and Seth uh, three months to figure out the white bread that we want. It's the best of uh, like Wonder Bread style, but it's not spongy and it's not weird. It holds up. It stays nice. It's got a good butter content. Yeah, when you fry that up, like I could just eat that all day. Right. It's good. And so uh, we didn't think that anyone would ever know the extent to which we studied or the extent to which we experimented, but we get people that request to buy our white bread. And some people we will make them a couple extra or whatever, but um, really you, the moment it doesn't, not everyone needs to know or care, but the few people that go, look, you guys made a white bread that is head and shoulders better than all the white bread I've ever had. That is worth it. You don't, not everyone needs to, to know everything, but the few people that do recognize and appreciate it, it's worth it. You know, it's much more, um, it's much more real than, than being the popular kid on the block. And everyone's like, Oh my God, your, your blankety blank is so amazing. And they're saying it because somebody else said it to them. Right. You know, um, and maybe I'd want that too. I haven't had that one yet. Maybe we'll figure that one out soon. Your blankety blank? No, I'm saying maybe I don't know what it feels like to to be told that your stuff is better than everybody else's just because somebody else told them that your stuff is better than everybody else's. Oh, else. because it's become a Because yeah. it's popular. Yeah. Um I I wanna I wanna be anti establishment and very punk rock about it and say I'd be like, yo, you don't even know. But yeah. no, I'd be self effacing. Like, oh, thank thanks. you so much. Um, you know. everybody else. Uh, yeah, tell team. your friends. It's a team. You want a picture? It's a team <laughs> effort. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, I wanted to was researching a couple of things. You know, we're talking about vulnerability in the artist, mm-hmm. and I think when we were first talking about this topic, Jim Morrison may have come up. Uh, and what's interesting is on this day, ooh, in 1967, he did. No, he was arrested at his own concert. It was the first time. A famous musician. Is that is when he pulled his weenie out? Arrested. No, in the middle of a performance. No, he was. He had a run-in with a police officer before the show, mm-hmm. 
because the opening act and the police officer and the security didn't recognize him. He was kind of mouthing off to them and they were like going to bust him. Uh, and then he, when he got up on stage, he went into this, you know, sort of swear laden tirade. Oh, about, the indecency laws. Yeah. Ooh. And so he got arrested for that. So that was 1967. So I thought that was interesting that it would come up on this same day. He was out there. Yeah. I mean, you lo- like or, you know, you don't have to like his music, but you have to appreciate that, that he was on the edge and he gave his life to the to the to the art that he was believed in. Yeah. And it well, I mean, it you could argue that it took his life, too. Good. But, yeah, that too. Um, Bukowski. Yeah. Find what you love and let it kill you. Yeah. Um, and I think that that does speak to what we're talking about. You know, um, do giving everything is taxing, you know giving absolutely every uh, and we lamenting this with some older cooks um i consider myself an older cook but um lamenting this the other day with some older cooks is like why are all the people that that work under us that we're training just a bunch of just sissies they're just weak they got no spine they got no teeth and they they're like they're always talking about work life balance and vacation days and i remember you know the first 8 years of my career is you do not ask for a day off whatever day is off you get fine you better go clean something you come to work and you you work on your time off you work um because because what else what are you gonna do well so you're i guess this is a good question because you see this a lot in other you could talk about it in the military you could talk about it in Mm. other things is are you people have to go through the process of earning their stripes. They've got to, they've got to get their, their hours in their 10,000 hours, however you look at right. it. But are you also hazing them? No. In I a mean, way? I don't haze people the way I was hazed. Well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. Like you were hazed. And so then everybody else deserves to go through the same process. That so I would were. say when, and I don't know if you finished, that's where you were. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where I was. I, uh, I, I, I never ever worked in the restaurant industry. So let me, let me run you through. And this yeah. is a, a very important thing that I conclusion I've come to. Uh, when I first started out, um, constantly physically assaulted. When I say physically, I mean, hit burnt, Stuff thrown at me, whatever. Yelled at constantly. The yelling didn't even, it was like white noise. Yes, chef. Cool. Fine. Constantly working. And the hope is, is that less and less physical assault, less and less. And at a certain point, there becomes a, there comes an event horizon where you almost take pride. You know it's coming anyways. You know you're going to, no matter how good you are, you're just going to keep getting yelled at until you earn yourself the respect of that kitchen. And or the, earn the respect of the chef and the by extension the rest of the kitchen and it used to be you almost had to earn your respect by every single person left and right of you higher lower everyone was constantly vying for a place in the hierarchy and it was natural you forget about the names the sous chef you know chef de commis whatever mm. doesn't matter there was a natural hierarchy a social hierarchy that that came from i even though this guy is equal pay as me equal whatever he's better he's worse he's whatever um and then natural judgment that just happened and um you wanted to ally yourself with people that were were going places and were doing things and you wanted to emulate those people and um you know there's this whole concept of like hater culture now 
where people are, are upset by somebody doing something different or doing something, uh, whatever. I don't particularly understand it because if I see a cook that's doing something amazing, I don't want to necessarily emulate the one thing he's doing. I want to emulate the lifestyle that led him to a creation. Mm -hmm. What is he doing? And so when um, I took every bit of it, I remember specifically what uh, one of my favorite, my best friends and one of my favorite chefs to ever work for, whenever I was slicing things on a meat slicer or I was cutting something, knives in my hand, sharp things around, he would just shove me. Like from, from behind or from the side, he would just make sure I wasn't paying attention and he would shove me. Because I always had to be, my stance had to be perfect and my knife work had to be perfect and I wouldn't cut myself. But if I was wrong, I'd cut myself. And uh, I think I only cut myself once or twice. But he continued to do it. And I'm better. I'm solid. You can shove me all day. You can throw stuff at me and I can work the meat slicer. I can cut and I can have a conversation. Don't worry about it. Nothing. Unflappable. And that sounds horrific. Now, I understand. But so <laughs> so years go on and more and more and the, all of those things are piling on to you and sure. you develop a very thick skin. But at the same time, less and less people are yelling at you because there's less and less people above you because hopefully you're progressing. Um, and then one of the, the nicest things that this, not this chef, not the same chef, but a different guy ever said to me is I used to want to fire you. I don't want to fire you anymore. And I was like, I got goosebumps. It's like, oh, my God, that's acceptance. That's wonderful. He never hit me again after that. Um, and he actually ended up buying me a beer like six months later. I left his restaurant, traveled. He came to one of my restaurants, and he was blown away by the stuff that I was doing. It was amazing. Um, he was proud of me. And that's incredible. Um, and so no one at that point was, uh, once I opened Orlando Meats, financially I'd get yelled at. But no one's there to yell at me. So the onus is on myself now to yell at myself. So I've developed these ghosts in my psyche <laughs> that are all my old chefs telling me I'm still stupid. I still need to push harder. I need to get up earlier. I need to sharpen my knives. This isn't right. It's not good enough. Where? Why is your brunoise a rhombus instead of a perfect square? Throw that away. Start again. Why are your noodles, you know, not the way this, this dough is not hydrated properly? You should always be in a constant state of questioning your abilities because if you just accept that you're better than everybody else or that you're good enough then if you're shooting for a c you, you might be lucky to get a c but if you're shooting for an a you're definitely going to be cool you know and you should get try to go for extra credit you know if the you should try to do as much as you can because we're always getting older we're always getting softer and gross and whatever and so the time death comes for I don't us. Know all. why you were looking at me when you said that? But yeah. <laughs> I don't even have my glasses on. I can't tell what you look like. <laughs> so, well, let me ask you this then: the the old chefs, you sitting around talking about this thing, as someone who's now in the position of your former bosses, the mm -hmm. people that you were working with uh, or for, right? Do you look at people and say this person wants to be in this industry? They want to go far, so I'm going to push them harder. And this person does not, so I'm not? Or do you just push everybody the same? There was a thing when um, when I was coming up, there was a transition in the industry that basically was, you can't just do that to everybody because everyone will quit. Um, some people respond positively, like me, do yeah. very well with it. Um, no matter what input you give me, I'm, the output will be the same. I will try as hard as I possibly can. You can be super nice, you can be super mean, whatever. Um, and that's not the case with everybody. It's a, it's rare. 
Um, and I don't know if that's like mental illness or just like masochism, but, um, but so you have to, to look at everybody and your management style has to shift on a case by case basis. There's some people that I was just un, incapable, un, incompetence on my part or whatever. And a lot of them don't cook anymore. So I feel vindicated in my, uh, in them, whatever they can. Quit. Not being able to connect. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I guess you're not a cook. You know, you, you stop cooking. Yeah. Um, and there's some of them that I feel like it's just a matter of time before they, they finally give up the ghost and they get a regular Joe job or, you know, start working at a diner because that's the only thing they can do. Um, and there's some people that I wish I could connect with deeper, that they're talented. But if I could just take a little bit, of, a little bit more from them, if I could just say, look, don't worry about the raise, man. Look, the thing that I'm trying to give you now is more than the dollar an hour here. It's the the ten fifteen thousand dollar year a year raise you're gonna get Bump, yeah. with the stuff that I'm Later trying on. to teach yeah. you. Um, there was a guy, and um, he's fifteen years older than me, twenty years older than me, and he would when I was young ish, he would tell me stories like I used to work in. Um, he used to do the seasonal jobs, and you get paid very well because it's a horrible job, and you do all this stuff, and you work for very rich people, and you get paid very well. You're running around, you get drunk, you're you know getting lucky with whomstever you like to get lucky with with work hard play hard yeah kind of exactly style, like yeah. really living it and yeah. i was i looked up to that i was like man i wish i did that and now i'm you know the restaurant and um i followed him to other restaurants and as we sort of spent time together long term i saw how sad that existence becomes is you're leaving one place for another for an additional dollar an hour you're leaving one place because someone said something to you crossways and, you know, that was 10 years ago. And um, I have a restaurant and he works for a failing pizza place. Mm. So I think that's the last thing I heard. But um, so, you know, and he's 15 years older than me, still slinging pizzas. Like there's no old age home for us. Our bodies are going to give out. So it's incumbent. It's important that we, you know, have something. Yeah. yeah. There's no 401k for like boutique restaurant chefs. So do something, make something. Just uh, start a restaurant called 401k. It'd be <laughs> super confusing. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I just feel like people don't realize that, um, that you're going to be dead probably sooner than you'd like. And so let's assume for the moment that you're just worm food, right? That you don't have an afterlife just cause it, we can't guarantee that. So what are you going to do? What's important to you? What matters? Family? Because the money you can't take with you. So do you want to live comfortably? So then you should, should not cook because the money is not good. And the likelihood that you're going to succeed is not good. Just not. This is a bad plan. Restaurants are not super profitable in any way. So if that's, if money is your uh, motivator, game, just yeah. stop, just go do something else. Yeah. There's way more. Again, I bring it up. Dry cleaning. Dry cleaning is a really profitable business. Car washes, amazingly profitable. As we saw on breaking bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wasn't thinking that, but yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so, so quit with this nonsense. Quit playing. For those of us that would do this for free out of a cardboard box if we have to, um, do it. Put yourself in put, a position, though. And, and as long as you're making enough yeah. money to put a roof over your head and provide for whatever fa semblance of family that you have, give everything else that you have um, and truly and honestly come at it absolutely vulnerable. And if 
if you're lucky enough to be good enough and, and to be in the right space and then whatever, the right moment of time, you'll be rewarded immensely. Um, not necessarily financially again, cause it's not a good business for money. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll be comfortable. And I, I, last night I was exhausted. I got done with this thing and I, I was laying the Seth and Jess and I were lay, literally laying on bare concrete out back of a, a brewery. Cause they're so tired. We're just talking and, you know, and I just the self, the satisfaction of having done something selfless mm-hmm. and even at a, you might, I might've done serious damage to my body overextending over the past, you know, cause it took like a few days to set up for this event over and above my regular stuff. Right. Um, I might've taken parts of my own life away in order to do this thing for these people. And that was like, yeah. That, that's the thing. That's the satisfaction of being able to just give absolutely everything for no reason other than just like I can. So I'm going to, um, there was a, and, and this is not a creative thing, but it's being, being vulnerable and willing to give over. There was a, a girl that called, I don't know, like a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now. And, uh, she was crying and freaking out. And, uh, I couldn't call the restaurant. Yeah. Called the restaurant. And I couldn't understand what's going on. And she eventually I got it out of her that she was uh, working for, with the FFA. She was like a she's a teenager, senior in high school. And um, she uh, her steer, the cow that she was raising for the FFA competition. Or whatever, I still don't fully understand that part had died at night the night before. And it was rotting in the barn. OK, <laughs> what can I do for you? And um, and she said, you know, I. I'd really like to skin it and that no, I've called like 20, 30 places and no one will skin it. And I was like, well, okay. Yes. And, um, so I said, let me, I was going to leave work early anyway. So it's your lucky day. Let me pack up some knives. And as soon as I get everything square at the restaurant, I'll, I'll come. So I drive out to a popco and this thing is dead, has been rotting for about 20 hours and, um, bloated. It's a 900 pound steer. So it's too late to, you can't it eat anything. it. No. Yeah. She just wants a skin. She knew that you couldn't eat it. Yeah. And it wasn't blood right or whatever. So, um, to so take a, a backhoe or whatever this thing, tractor, pull it out of the barn on chains. I had to cut into its tendons. This is an experience experience. that's altogether new to me. And I, and, and on top of that, this expectation is that I'm going to do it flawlessly on this rotting corpse because this woman, this young woman is needs this emotionally. And so, we drag it over to a tree. I start skinning it and I have to do it very delicately because there's a time bomb inside of this animal. It will explode eventually, but also if I puncture something, it will also explode. So be very careful cutting the skin away. I can skin an animal in about optimal conditions, 30 minutes. This took an hour and a half uh, with help and a bunch of other stuff and like very, very delicately bomb squad style. And um, as time went on, she got more comfortable and like, she was going through the catharsis of like, she dealt with the animal's death and like, it became, you know, I could have made money off this, but you know, and then she, the, eventually we started making jokes about it, not specifically this animal, but like life and death. And it was, it was amazing. Um, kind of getting choked up now, but, uh, but being vulnerable and saying like, I'm going to be on this journey with you, whatever yeah. this is, and then help you in your mourning of this animal um 
and then and then we all there was like three or four of us there and we took it and chained it back at once the skin was off uh chained it back up and drag drug it dragged it drug it drug it over to a pit that had been dug like uh 15 feet deep and you know a, a few feet wider and longer than the cow and you know as we shoved the carcass into the pit its stomach popped and it you could hear the intestines and stomach hit the ground first and then the rest of the body came afterwards it's like oh god like jesus it's it, the levity and the the darkness of it like you can only understand the light by defining it with shadows you yeah, know what i'm saying absolutely. like there's so much weight there and i thought that i had i would be absolutely different as a person for experiencing that and i'm sure that i am but i do not understand yet the ramifications of it yeah you haven't processed it yet i don't i have some of it um for sure and like so what what would if i if i would have worried about what they were going to pay me if i worried about you know, anything else other than trying to help this person to be vulnerable, to be receptive, I would have missed out on that. And, and she would have had, she would miss out on, on the closure that she got to whatever degree she got it. Um, God knows if it helped or not. I don't, I hope it helped. Um, all of this, this would be different. It would be divergent. And the 20 or whatever. So people said no before me, they didn't get to, have that life experience as grotesque as it was, mm. was beautiful in its own way. And the vulnerability of the, the just being open to this crazy experience was like, was life altering in a way that I'm, I'm sure I won't know for quite some time, you know, just pulling threads and seeing what happens. Yeah. Um, whether it's cooking or podcasting or just being there for a stranger in a weird moment in or, a way that well and in a in another way i mean hopefully somebody hears this story and thinks about it in their case and says yes to an opportunity they may not have said yes to yeah i mean otherwise um i lost a lot i used to be super into drugs i think we talked about this morning yeah. um and i lost a lot of people as a consequence to that and so if i can ever help um usher uh more completely or more um, quietly people trying to mourn if I can ever help I I'm specifically drawn to that kind of stuff to, to try to alleviate pain and uh, suffering um, death comes for us all so maybe if we were a little bit more kind it would be better and in, in, in that kindness we're vulnerable we're connected yeah. in a way that you can't if you're saying you know I need I need this from you. I need this from you. Instead, say like, "What can I do for you?" If everyone's saying that, you know, it's a little better. All right. So Monday morning <laughs> radio. <laughs> Let's leave it at that for now. Um, you want to learn more about Elliot? I would. I do. Yeah. 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 So listen to Offcuts podcast. Was that too heavy for Monday morning? Man, <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's, it's. I just have nowhere to go from there. Well, um, so. So let's play a song. Okay. All right. How about some cranberries? Oh, man. Rest in peace. Yep. I don't need. Uh, this was from a single of theirs. I think it was on some of the best of stuff, too, but it was an unreleased single. Um, so whenever I get a chance to play it, I play it. And it seems appropriate right now. On WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, you're listening to Odd Numbers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode 
and this podcast. If you're thinking of getting something for me, I don't need anything fancy. You don't have to order something on http colon slash slash www.amazon.com for me. All I want for the holidays is you to let me know what you think of this episode and the show. Seriously, I would love your feedback. I'm being vulnerable. Tell me what you think. All opinions are welcome. Any opinions are welcome. You can email. You can slide into my DMs. Secret codes on origami characters from the Fast and the Furious franchise. However you want to do it. And Happy New Year to you. To you. To you. Here's to you. Now back to the show. The Cranberries on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. From a CD single, when CD singles were a thing. Mid-90s, early to mid-90s. Okay. Remember that? Oh, a, I thought you were saying CD, like a gross underbelly. Oh, no, no. CD, CD compact, compact disc. disc. Got it. Jinx. Yeah. Uh, Coke. Single from <sighs> the 90s. Uh, yeah. That was I Don't Need. Thank you for listening to Odd Numbers today. You almost said Off Cuts. I almost said Off Cuts. <laughs> but you could listen to that anytime as well. Off Cuts is a fantastic podcast. I'm Nick. That's Elliot Hillis. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm completely off now. No, that's fine. Um, it doesn't often happen that somebody is vulnerable on the show. So even though our subject today was vulnerability, if you missed any of the show, mm-hmm. feel free to subscribe to uh, a certain degree. It's a podcast that you're basically listening to right now <laughs> that I do live as a radio show and then turn into a podcast. So you listen to the rest of it because it's, it's wonderful. Uh, when people come on and, you know, I get to talk to people from the Orlando area who are doing amazing things like Elliot Hillis through Orlando Meets, through the Offcuts podcast, through his various experiments, <laughs> both socially and with food. Mm. Um, but it's not often that we have that level of emotional moment on the radio because people aren't necessarily, people are guarded, especially on the radio. Well, isn't that the very nature of what we're talking about? Yeah, and so it's it's it feels like for me at, at this point to say anything other than thanks for listening <laughs> would seem almost kind of uh, hokey in a way. But, uh, you know, I, I think that whether it's with family, which is, you know, this is the time of year that people typically spend time with family. Mm-hmm. Talking about it earlier that, you know, my family is not very direct when it comes to conversations, it's a good time to think about being more vulnerable with them and just having a conversation, even if it's a hard one. Um, if you're going to be talking to your friends, maybe ones you haven't talked to in a while mm-hmm. for whatever reason, um, this is a good opportunity to connect with them. And so, uh, yeah, I'm feeling all emotional. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, still, I, might, I still might cry. Yeah, um, I'm a little teary. It's That's a, good. it was a very, um, it was a very dark and, uh, uh, hard moment to deal with. And yeah. I think that, um, we, we tend to laugh and, and, and gallows humor and, well, and try to, you have to, the, yeah. In order to, to deal with to it. cope, yeah. um, to be faced with so much darkness and death in the, in just in that moment. Cause we're always kind of around it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to to look back on it only like a month or two later, I can't remember exactly, but to look back on it so it seems like a lifetime ago 
how much I've processed and still haven't necessarily processed that moment. Um, well, there's got to be stuff that even in the moment you're kind of blocking out. Well, I mean, it was a, it's a rotting animal. Yeah. So it smells bad. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and the, the implications thereof and did I just poison myself because there's diseases that are associated with being around rotting corpses and, mm-hmm. um, and those kinds of things. And it's, uh, it was, it was, um, it feel it felt like when I first got my glasses, I was blind my whole life, just like, not, no, but I was, couldn't see very well. And I didn't know that you weren't supposed to see very well. I just thought everything was kind of blurry. Everything was kind of blurry and, in the world, uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, I was convinced to get at 27, so six years ago now, uh, or oh, seven years ago now, uh, 27 years old, I was convinced that I should get glasses. And I got glasses, and the, and, and the, the act of getting glasses was comical to me. And uh, I was just like, this is ridiculous. One or two? Yeah, exactly. Two over and over again. Or three. And um and so like a week later, uh go to pick up my glasses and I put the glasses on and I, I tear up immediately at how dramatic and insane it was insanely emotional. Um and I'm crying. Like I couldn't process what the, the world was fundamentally different. And I was quiet, which if you know me is a very weird state. For for about a week I was quiet because I was it was overwhelming to to see as much as I could see now, and um, so to get you to be quiet, we just need to put your glasses on. I uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, you got to give me a new <laughs> perspective, maybe to process. Um, and I think that that's this that's the same thing that when you're when you're busy putting out, right, uh, out into the world, busy mm-hmm. putting so much. I think sometimes you forget to let stuff in and to to see things in a new way and to see things in as many perspectives as you can, and. Um, that moment for me, a jarring and horrifying and grotesque and emotional and beautiful and to whatever extent you can grasp at adjectives at this time of the morning and in this emotional state, um, it was all of it and it was brand new. And uh, sorry. So let me let me add this um, as you as you process and you try to think about what you want to say about it, but. I think it's important too to think about vulnerability, not only being vulnerable, but allowing other people to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, it's not easy to just listen. It's not easy to just be that sounding board that people need sometimes. Right. Um, because you want to, I, I, I like to fix things. When my kids are talking to me and they're having a problem with something, mm-hmm. I want to fix that. Um, I think, and it's, it's the same with other people too, but sometimes you just need to let the people, let somebody you're talking to talk it through. Well, I think that's twofold. I mean, like you, um, on one hand you have an empathetic arm of that where you want to lessen that person's suffering. Sure. And on the other hand, you have a selfish arm of that, which is this person, if I fix this problem, they'll shut up. For sure. <laughs> so especially yeah, with your kids, most like, of the time I need kids. them to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so if they get the food, they'll stop being loud. If I burp them, they'll stop crying. Right. Um, and I think that, and I, I have the same problem uh, as far as like with Seth, with, with, uh, when in my relationship. Yeah. With burping him. He's, he's a big boy. He's yeah. 180 pounds. So. Yeah. Uh, and he's taller than me. So like trying to hoist him up on my shoulders issue. Tough. Mostly candy. So it's like an upset stomach. It's not so much burping, but um, the uh, uh, letting someone get an entire thought out for me has been hard. Cause I always want to jump in. I want to yes. And I want to be a part of their conversation. And yeah. it's been 
uh, probably the hardest or one of the hardest things I've had to learn um, domestication wise, like being around people uh, is figuring out where I fit in their life. And I don't think enough people are, um, are willing enough to realize that we are co-stars in somebody else's movie. You know, they're, it's, it's copacetic. Like, they're the co-stars of our film. Yeah. Hopefully you are the protagonist of your own film. Eh. (laughs) Hopefully with any luck, but you're definitely a co-star or a a bit part in somebody else's film. And to what extent you can help them along their plot is, uh, I think the measure of a, of a human being. I think, um, it's a bucket list, you know, Mm -hmm. the story of two old men dealing with their mortality together in very different ways. And um, the last couple stanzas of that is um, we measure ourselves by those that measure themselves by us. And like the, that it's so incredibly powerful and like weighty, you know, who, who cares enough to think highly enough of you that they would compare themselves to you and vice versa. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a lot to handle. Uh, let's leave it at that. Okay. That was a good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you've been listening to Odd Numbers on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Elliot Hillis, if you would like to follow him for more philosophical and non-philosophical stuff, you can do so on the Instagram at SaltForge, at Orlando Meats, at Offcuts Podcast, at Recess Pizza, and a couple of others. We'll let you discover those on your own. Uh, You can subscribe to the show if you missed any of it. You should listen to this episode. I'll just put it out there. If you're just tuning in, you missed a really good one. So listen to the podcast and listen to Offcuts. You've been listening to Odd Numbers on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. Thanks. Have a great week. And that's the show. Thanks for listening to Odd Numbers, episode 29. Where do you go from here? Tell your friends, families, and neighbors about how great the show is. Consider subscribing. Also visit to a certain degree.com. That's T-O-A, certain degree.com. You'll find all the past episodes, upcoming episodes, recipes. Uh, not really. If you want recipes, Elliot is at Orlando Meats most of the time. He's at Red Light, Red Light with Recess Pizza some of the times, and you can hear him on Off Cuts Podcast the rest of the time. Just a reminder that this episode and every episode is recorded live on WPRK 91.5 FM. You can listen live every Monday at 7 a.m. on your radio or streaming on the internet. That's when shows are at their peak freshness. Thanks for listening, and remember, wearing two pieces of bread as earmuffs doesn't make you a sandwich.